Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Did you miss me? I know it's been bad. I've said in the past few weeks, I said a few weeks ago, that I try to do them on a more regular basis. But again, life has just got in the way. Work has been crazy. But fear not, the season is upon us. My flights to the Clash are booked. My flights to Daytona are booked, as are our hotel and Airbnb accommodations. And we are gearing up for the start to the 2022 NASCAR season. And the podcast is back in full force. I know I promised you guys last time I was going to try to get episodes out every other week in the offseason. Well, the offseason's done. Rolex is this weekend. We got the Clash next weekend. So we're going to be cranking out these. I'm planning on doing them every week, barring any unforeseen circumstances. Should anything change, you you guys know I will let you know, and I will do all that I can to make sure we get an episode out weekly because I miss doing this. This is fun. I like working. I don't like working until I'm dead, but I like working. Anyways, somebody who works and works really, really well is Danielle Trotta. She is our guest this week on the show. She is my wonderful, wonderful coworker at SiriusXM. And boy, does she have an insanely cool, interesting backstory on her time in the industry, her time in the profession, media in general, so much more. We had laughs, we shed some tears, we got deep, some advice was shared, compliments, insults, her dog, I don't want to give it away. You guys are just going to have to listen to the end of the show to uh, to hear one of the one of the best moments in the history of Victory Lane, all 135 episodes. Plus, the clash is coming, as I mentioned, right around the corner. I can't wait for it. But before we do any of that, if you guys are new here, you may not know, but if you're an OG listener, we pay homage to a driver, team member, etc., with whatever number we are featuring on the show this week. Today's episode 135. The number in question is 35. Papa Siegel does our Wayback segments as he has and always will do. And this week he went a bit of a different direction. Let's hear for ourselves. Thank you, Doof, and welcome everyone to episode 135. Today we wake up from our off-season nap and look forward to the new racing season. We start slow with good old number 35 which hasn't exactly been the most used or successful car number in NASCAR history. About 320 starts for the number. A number of big-time drivers wheeled the 35, including Benny Parsons, Alan Kolwicki, Darrell Waltrip, and Cale Yarbrough. No wins for them in the car or for the number at all, although Benny Parsons did take 35 to victory lane in one of the 1987 Daytona qualifying races. Car 35 does hold the dubious distinction of having recorded DNFs in more than a third of all its races started. Yikes! So, who to highlight today? 
Cole Witt and Josh Wise have been the most recent drivers to pilot the 35. All I'll say about that is good for them. The coolest looking paint schemes for the 35 probably belong to Parsons, who drove the red Folgers livery for Hendrick Motorsports before Tim Richmond did, and Todd Bodine, who had a short-lived run in the 35 for Team Tabasco. I'm sure Davey will be adding that spicy car to his growing collection of die casts, if he hasn't done so already. The small one, Duve, please. The basement thanks you. All that said, we turn to the gift that keeps on giving, the Cars movie franchise, for today's Driver of the Pod. Kevin Racing Tire drove the pink and yellow 35 car sponsored by Shifty Drug in the Piston Cup series. He appears to have been the car's equivalent of NASCAR's John West Townley. No real racing talent or ability or knowledge of cars for that matter, but a Deep Pockets father-in-law who owned the large pharmaceutical company that sponsored his car. Like so many others, Racing Tire was involved in the huge crash at the Motor Speedway of the South caused by Chick Hicks. Kachiga! Kachiga! Now, if that doesn't get your motor running for 2022, I don't know what will. The Rolex 24 at Daytona is this weekend. Let's go! First of all, happy belated birthday, Dad, even though I spent it with you yesterday. Second of all, thank you for the Kachiga, Mom. Third of all, how are you not going to pay homage to The Onion? Yes, whenever I get to 35, that is going to be the die cast that I choose. But how are you going to skip over Todd Bodine, The Onion? He's making starts this year in the truck series. It's going to be so fun to watch. And that Tabasco car was a spicy me the ball. So fun to watch, so fun to look at. Watching highlights from back in the day, that was one of the most recognizable paint schemes that I can remember. No, it didn't have any success, but it's not necessarily about the success. It's about the memories. And I have some memories of seeing and watching that tobacco cars. But I'm always cool with the Cars franchise spotlight since that is the greatest cinematic masterpiece of our time. So thank you, Dad, for this week's Way Back segment. Hopefully you can do a little bit better next week for 36. I sure hope so. You can only go up from there, if I'm being honest. Just kidding. Maybe. Let's start off this show as we always do. Were they good old-fashioned? And let's throw it right over to interview time with Danielle Trotta. She is a SiriusXM host, a Boston sports guru. She has worn a ridiculous amount of hats in the industry over her time in the sport of NASCAR, outside of it, from behind the scenes to in front of the camera, now behind the microphone and in front of the camera. She has done and continues to do it all. And on a personal note, she has been so, so kind, so helpful, so generous to me since I've started at SiriusXM and as I've kind of tried to grow my brand and my persona in the NASCAR media world. She is great. So yes, I'm inherently biased in this conversation, but I think it was a really, really great one. It was eye-opening. As I said, we shared some laughs, we shared some tears, we shared some stories. It was so good to catch up with Danielle outside of my work setting and her work setting as well. But we did dive into a lot of her current, past, and future work. And I'm excited for you guys to hear about all that, 
how she got hooked up with her now husband, Robbie Benton, through her now co-worker, Larry McReynolds. If you guys haven't heard that story, that is a great one. Also, the impact that the late, great Steve Burns left on her and still leaves on her in the entire NASCAR world today. Plus, a whole lot of stories in between. I think you guys are going to get a real kick out of this conversation because I know I sure did. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Danielle Trotta. It is an honor and a pleasure to welcome on not a one-time, but technically a two-time co-worker of mine and a current co-worker at Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. She is a Boston sports fanatic. She is a Sirius XM host. She is an all-around cool cat. You already know, it's my girl DT, Danielle Trotta. How the heck are you? It's only been a couple hours since I saw you on Zoom. I know. You pop up on Sirius XM a couple months ago. I'm like, Davey's everywhere. I never know where I'm going to find you. Yeah, <laughs> we're in the wide world of sports, am I, today? And today I'm in my apartment talking to you, but we, you don't have your headset on. I'm not running the board. It's a little bit of a different feel for us today. I'm kind of liking it, though. I like that there's no, there's not going to be any ACDC rejoin music because Larry Mack's not here, so we're yep. good. <laughs> Only T-Swizzle and rap. We, we agree on Perfect. that. Yes. Yes. Tell me what a typical day looks like for you right now, because you're busy doing a lot of different things and you have done a lot of different things throughout your professional career. But right now, hosting on track from 11 to 1 in the East, yes, the show is two hours, but there's a whole lot more preparation before and after the show that you have to do. And that's not counting everything else that's going on in your life. So a typical day right now leading up to the season, what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's been a pretty busy off season. I mean, on track continues to roll and yeah, you have a production call with Dom, our executive producer who produces on track in the morning. And he kind of gives you the lay of the land, tells you the guests that are going to be on and you get all your final notes and prep work. I'll usually reach out to Larry and we'll just text back and forth or do a quick call um, just to get all our ducks in a row, make sure we kind of have an idea. Sometimes we really don't, or more often than not, we'll go in with a plan. And then just in the general sense of natural conversation it takes you in a totally different way and the show goes another angle that you totally didn't did not anticipate um hopefully that's for the better so it keeps you busy all morning um and then yeah after one o'clock typically i'm i'm free for the rest of the day if i'm not doing any television work this season's been off season's been a little bit more complex than previous um just because uh i'm in the midst of filming a, a show that's going to debut in the spring. Um, so it's been difficult. I mean, it's been a really, from the sense of like wanting to commit to Sirius XM every single day. Right. Um, but El Supremo, our boss, Daniel Norwood has been really gracious in allowing me to try to do both. So I've taken large chunks of time off this off season. Um, it's filming in three different cities, one of which is Charlotte, which is where I live. That's so I'm yeah. So like some days I'm running to do hair and makeup right when I get done with the radio show and then I'm off filming for the rest of the day or doing the show and then rushing to the airport, um, listening to trading paint on the way and, and hopping on a plane to go film again. So yeah, it's been a bit crazy. There's no rest. That's for sure. Yeah. I remember, you know, one morning you came on for crosstalk and you were telling us how you just got back from Wyoming for a week. And I'm like, damn, this girl's all over Wyoming, Charlotte. <laughs> What, what, what in the wide world of sports is going on? But I don't want you to give too much away, but you kind of gave us a little bit of a teaser there. So we are going to be able to see you again on our television screens in the next couple months doing a cool project. Is that right? Yeah, I kind of 
like to say it's like HGTV, like a home renovation show with a big mm-hmm. reveal at the end, um, but for cars. And so we're taking a look at like iconic muscle cars from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Even we have a one from the 40s, which has been amazing that are sitting collecting, you know, dust and rust and they're just total junkers and restoring them to their old iconic self, but then also putting some modern touches on them. Um, So the cars themselves are really cool, but I have to say, Davey, like we found... 10 families across the country. You're like Wyoming, Montana, Kansas. I mean, like for all over the place, they are the most incredible people. I can't give a lot away. I've probably maybe said too much, but um, <laughs> it'll be announced really soon. I'm so excited. It's going to debut in the spring. Um, it'll be 10 episodes. And I've fallen in love with these people, these families. I will definitely be on the lookout for when that show debuts okay, and we'll be Stay in tune to your social media accounts to see how all that comes out. But it sounds like a lot of fun. So thanks for taking us behind the curtain just yeah. a little bit there. Now, I would like you to take us behind the curtain a little bit more into you, your career, your life in general, because people that are listening to this, they know you. They know you from SiriusXM. They know you from Race Hub. They know you for being in the sport for the last 10, 15, 20-ish years at this point. But why media? Why journalism? Why broadcasting? What drew you to this side of things in the first place? And when was that? I would say it started when I was maybe eight, 10 years old. I was watching the NBA on NBC with Bob Costas and Hannah Storm, the Mm pregame show. Um, And I was sitting on the couch with my dad. He's a huge sports fan. I'm a huge sports fan. Love playing sports. He never had a son. So threw me into everything. And I'm super athletic and love it. So we'd watch games. And I was, I was watching Bob and Hannah. It was like a two shot and they're talking about the game. And then Hannah on a tight shot, like tosses to a package. And it's just a moment that I'll never forget. It was like my aha moment. And when the light bulb went on for me as a little girl, and I just turned to my dad and I said, dad, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And it, before that had never even like subconsciously or consciously registered with me. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to do is most little kids. And he was like, okay, go do it. And like, literally date, like we all have those like jobs, waitressing, bartending, whatever. But in terms of like a career, um, as an adult, I've never done anything else. I've never chased anything else. This is since I was little, just, I don't know. I just, that was like a a moment. I just knew call it like your, your calling or whatever, but I just kind of knew that's, that was it for me. So a uh, little birdie told me that you happen to be in the high school radio hall of fame with one Samuel Ag in Indiana. <laughs> Is this true? Can you confirm? Carmel high school, go Greyhounds class of 99. I don't, Sammy and I are, I'm sig- probably significantly older than Sammy. So I don't think we cross paths <laughs> in the, uh, the Carmel high school hallways. Um, but yeah, that was a significant, I think development in my career because there was a four-year program and so i started as a freshman and then you could intern if you made it all the way to your senior year Mm -hmm. at a local so i interned at like the local abc affiliate in indy which is a top 25 market is that senior Um, in high school yeah wow so i was doing radio i was shooting my own packages i was writing vo's and interviewing folks and um like, yeah, entering all these contests for, you know, spot commercials and um, sports broadcasts. And just like from an editing standpoint, a voiceover standpoint, um, stand-ups, 
you name it. I mean, we were just like doing all of it at 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. So I felt like I had, like, even going into college, I just felt like I had a skill set that was, I mean, obviously it was still very early in my development, but I yeah. still felt like that because we had just moved to Carmel, like in the summer of my eighth grade for my dad's job. Like the fact that we moved to that city, I went to that school that had this program. I don't know. It, it was something in the stars. Like it, it would, it yeah. would be like, you know, for a kid, the first time they, you know, like Jeff Gordon moves from California to Indiana, but even that was more of a calculated move on his parents' part to get him to race more. Like this was more just like, it's just totally you, happenstance. It was totally happy. Yeah, it was, it was totally random. Um, so yeah, I don't know that I've ever gotten like a plaque or anything for being in the hall of fame. Maybe <laughs> there's something on the wall. I'll have to go back to the high school, but I don't know. Maybe some of my professors would not have at the time signed off on that. I don't know. But well, I was talking to Sammy this morning yeah. and he was like, yeah, we actually went to the same high school. We're both in the hall of fame. And I was like, first off, Sammy in a hall of fame. What Danielle, That's I get Sammy. Question. What? <laughs> and in the same high school. In, and it's a high school Hall of Fame, Radio Hall of Fame. I mean, that's a big deal. And Sammy was saying the same stuff that you were, how it was a bit abnormal for a high school to have such an ad advanced and significant and great program for people like you that wanted to get their foot in the door in the industry. But even when you graduated high school, it sounds like you just didn't have your foot in the door. You were fully in the door, already had an internship. And most people don't get that until they're in their back half years of college. So from that standpoint, you really were kind of ahead of the game and knowing what you wanted to do from a young age as well, that probably helped things too. Yeah. I mean, we had a local cable access 24 hour channel. I mean, now it's, it's local in that market, but like still. you're still on television at 14 years old, doing what you love just, and you know, this it's just about getting reps. Yeah. So I had hundreds and hundreds of reps, you know, going into college, which to your point is extremely rare. Yeah, that's really invaluable. Speaking of college, shoot me straight if my research is incorrect, but did you go to like three or four different cities and or universities for college? So I think I have Indiana, Vermont, Boston, and Charlotte. Those are four different areas of the country that you went to for college. You ended up getting your degree from UNC Charlotte, but we're, why did we go to four different places? Because most people can't <laughs> even decide on a major. You couldn't decide on a school. Or a state. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your research is correct. It's impressive. Um, that's a lot to keep up with. Um, yeah. I mean, I, we talked about Carmel high school right outside Indianapolis. So, um, you know, everyone went to IU or Purdue or ball state, which is where Sammy AG went. Mm -hmm. So it was like one of those, and then it wasn't like the right fit for me. It was, you know, too big. I think that's what it was. I was kind of looking for the right fit. So I went from one extreme to another in Vermont, which was extremely small, like eight to 12 kids in a class. Go which was actually, yeah, yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was amazing. Like I still call Vermont maybe the best two years of my life because the group of people I was with, it was so small. There was like 40 or 50 of us um, that just became really close in a school of maybe only two or 300. But the backdrop, I mean, you're always hiking, you're always skiing, you're always just kind of outside living on the land kind of deal. And it was just an incredible time in my life. Like it was, it was amazing. So I got my associates there and it was just kind of a two-year deal. So I was like forced to leave, um, after that. And I said, okay, let's get serious about TV. I asked my advisor, like, what's the best TV school? 
and they were like Emerson in Boston. So I applied, was accepted, moved to Boston with the U-Haul and, and mom. And um, the program was incredible. My producers were doing like 2020 on ABC and working for ABC News at night and wow. just like, yeah, the, they were incredible, but I found the program to be much more geared to news mm -hmm. and it was hard news. And I wasn't, I was paying a lot of money, frankly, for something that was a great foundation, but not really honing in on my exact skill set. So I wasn't that engaged necessarily as I should have been. Um, so I thought, okay, where do I go from here? And my mom was like, come to Charlotte. Um, my parents had moved to Charlotte when I was in Vermont. And they, she was like, it's really warm down here. It's really affordable. The people are so nice. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I packed up, moved home, uh, enrolled at UNC Charlotte. And, um, and again, senior year internship, um, interned at WBTV through their program. And then when I was, when I graduated, I had a job waiting for me as a weekend news editor. And I was thought that was so cool. Cause I'd interned in the sports department, which was amazing, but there was no openings in sports. Um, so I took a job as a weekend news editor. So I was putting together all the, the fires and the, you know, all the, the crime footage that you see yeah. on local news, like I wasn't out shooting it, but the photographers would bring it in. I'd load it into the system, edit all the video together. Um, just kind of biding my time. I would tune in satellite trucks. Like I was in the satellite room tuning in like live shots for the 11 o'clock news, just doing anything I could answering phones. And then, um, something opened up in the sports office as a photographer. So I, I was like, okay, that's my foot in the door. I'm not on air, but I'm in that little office of four people. So my my odds are going to increase if I can just get my foot in that tiny little in that tiny little room. And yeah. uh, it was 2006. Yeah. And the rest is history, as they say, huh? <laughs> they allowed me on air in 2007. Yeah, because the weekend anchor, like, she left after like 15 years. And Pretty good timing. It's good timing. And the news director was like, why the hell would I hire you? Like, you've never been on air. Like, we are doing a nationwide search. And you I was should have like, been like uh, sir, have you seen my 14-year-old face on my <laughs> high school television channel? Come on. I'm in the Carmel High School Radio Hall of Fame. Excuse Thank you. me. <laughs> a swimming so, and diving champion also at Carmel High School. Thank you. Yes. Yep. Did did that as well. Nasty on a, on a springboard. I, I didn't have the, the cojones to do the platform stuff, but yeah, springboard. I was, I was pretty good at. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a hell of a journey and that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. So I want to stress to people here to get into the industry and to get an on camera on air position, you don't start doing that most of the time, right? Hence, you guys who listen to the show, you know, this is what I want to do. That's why I'm an AP at Sirius. You don't just go on and get an on-air job. Um, so you always wanted to be in that position, but you understood that it wouldn't happen overnight and you got to had to grind and pay your dues and et cetera, et cetera. Take me back to those times when you were the weekend editor and you were covering some news stories and you were tuning the satellite truck. And I mean, were you having conversations with people kind of making your your wants and desires known saying like, Hey, I know that I'm doing this, but I'd love to be in this position eventually, or, Hey, can I get some reps here? Or, Hey, can I shadow you here? Because there's a lot of things that you weren't necessarily paid for in the job description 
that I'm sure you did and people that are in your type of position that want to get to where you got to have to do to be able to gain that trust, respect, and credibility? Yeah, I think it's a great question and a great lesson for anyone kind of interested in what we do that might be tuning in. And my agent and I, we talk about it a lot, like just get your foot in the door. And once you're there, you can start to make relationships and you can start to, yeah, have those conversations and build on that rapport and let it be known. Like, Hey, if you guys ever have an opening, like definitely let me know. And, and they will, if, if you're nice to people and you work hard and you hustle. And I think they probably allowed me in there because in the sports office, because they saw how hard I was working, even doing something I wasn't, you know, super into, like, I didn't want to be an editor and I didn't want to be in news, but I, I went above and beyond. I'd come in early. I'd stay late. I did a lot of things like you're saying, I just wasn't paid to do. Um, but I also like, I really wanted to learn because I didn't know what was next, but I didn't want anyone to be able to say, well, she can't do that. So I wanted to know how to edit. I wanted to know how to shoot. I wanted to know how to tune in a satellite truck. I wanted to know how to work the assignment desk. I wanted to learn how to build a rundown or do graphics or run the teleprompter because I didn't know what was around the corner. And I was like, well, I have to, I'm here and why not maximize my time? So I would bartend at nightclubs, like super late at night because it was the only job that like allowed me to pay the rent, but still have the majority of my time at the news station. And I just like lived there <laughs> until wow. I, I kind of forced them to, to find a position, I guess somewhat, but um, yeah, I would do that. I would go out with the sports photographer and if he was going to like Panther stadium on Wednesdays was open locker room. So you'd go and you'd get sound from the quarterback, the wide receiver, the key players, the head coach. And then you'd use that sound throughout the newscast during, during the week to lead up to the game Sunday. And I would ask Nate, I'd say, you know, after we're done, the tunnels, like the locker rooms here, the tunnels here, the field is like 30 yards away. And I'd say, Hey, can we sneak out onto the field and do like a couple standups? And he was like, yeah, sure. And, um, then I realized, Oh, well, I have to have something ready to say. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's kind of important. Yeah. No, one's writing this stuff for you. So then it was like, okay, we'll be a little bit more deliberate and understanding the matchup. And then when you go into the locker room next Wednesday, understand what Jake DeLoma is saying, pull out a key bite or something else that stands out from one of the players, mm-hmm. write something really quick on your scratch pad, turn that into a standup and then make it a part of your reel. And then I would go back and like, when he was done with his video, I'd take the, the card and download it into the system. And I'd create a file that was just my stuff. So eventually you start doing that at enough AAA baseball games or Panthers locker room or Davidson basketball games um, that you have a little reel. And I didn't know what I was going to do with it. But yeah, to your point, it was like, just do whatever you can to have something. Just keep building that skill set however you can. So I'm sure that there's a lot of different people that have been in similar positions to you. And maybe the emotions are excitement, nervousness. They're just ready to get it done. They're confident in their abilities to do it when you got that first shot on air and the producer or the hiring manager was basically saying, why should I hire you? You you don't have the experience. We just had somebody that was a vet for 15 years and I'm putting this green little, little girl in here. Um, what were the emotions for you at that point? Was it more nervousness or was it, no, I, I know I can kick ass and I'm ready for it. Yeah, it was tenacious. It was tenacity for sure. Um, I was bullish at that point. There was something in me that just knew I was ready 
um, and that I would do a better job. And he was like, we're doing this big nationwide search. And I was like, well, she just quit. So you're going to need someone this weekend and I'll do it for free. And he was like, I like free. We have to pay you something, but <laughs> okay. So he's like three months, don't get excited. Don't get comfortable. Three months, we're going to find someone. And then like once I got on set with these like very prominent anchors, like Maureen O'Boyle, who had started A Current Affair in the 80s, like she was, you know, just huge. I mean, just such an icon in the industry. And Paul Cameron, who was in this business for 50 years, like I'm standing next to two of the greats in Charlotte media history. And I'm like, how the hell did I get here? Like, it wasn't until that first show that I went, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm so nervous. Um, but I was also really, I was just absorbing. And I, I would look and I would like, I'm at the end of the desk, you know, where they have weather and sports on each end and then like the anchors in the middle. And I would just watch them, like their cadence and their transitions and their crosstalk or I'm picking up on all these things going, I want to be that good, but I have no idea how to do it. Like, how are they doing that? But I would get out there early and I would just stand there and I would just watch and absorb and eventually you figure it out. I mean, it's just, it's just reps, but yeah, yeah. I was tenacious in wanting the job, but then scared to death once I got it. It's <laughs> a lot to think about when you go to bartend at night too, thinking, Oh, wow. I'm really going to have to do this again. Or the first time you were doing it, you're like serving drinks. You're like, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. We're good. Well, then my other friends are in media and they're like local sports anchors. Yeah. And so they're coming by for like their drinks, chumming it up, having a great time, coming back from the game after work, like they're making real money. And I'm like slinging drinks over here until two o'clock in the morning. It was, yeah. it was rough. <laughs> yeah, I feel that I do. Well, let's keep moving along here. Cause once you got that chance, you parlayed that success into eventually landing at Fox sports and where a lot of NASCAR fans probably know your work at race hub. Before we dive into that, is there anything to fill in the gaps in between there? Did you do anything else of significance after you got that opportunity and you learned and you honed your craft before race hub came calling? Yeah, it was across the street from WBTV, which was the local affiliate, the CBS in Charlotte. I was there three years at the same time, the ACC network, which is what it is now. Then it That's was right. Raycom sports is That's across right. the street. So they noticed my work and asked me to do some stuff and it turned into a couple magazine style shows and some features. And then that they wanted to start doing a pregame show before their ACC game of the week. Um, and so coach, Tommy Bowden had just left Clemson. So he was tabbed to kind of be the analyst and they needed a host. And um, I had done a ton of, you know, newscasts, but I had never done a pregame show um, or a halftime or a post game. So we yeah. did it at the um, NASCAR Hall of Fame. Actually, they have like studios in the in the basement of NASCAR Productions. Um, so we rented a set down there. And I think that was two years when I was working at Speed was my second year um in 2010 and i think speed was kind of like hey let's figure out what we're doing here either one or the other yeah um and just from a time perspective it made sense to really sink my teeth into into the next venture but um i certainly learned a lot and i'm still friends with coach bowden today he's great so and the folks at raycom are awesome so a lot of great friendships and another just great opportunity it yeah. was pretty cool you mentioned speed. I think that's probably where um, I first saw you when I was a wee little lad. 
coming home from school, watching practice, qualifying, and all the awesome programming that was on speed. Uh, you mentioned like this whole time, right? Your parents moved to Charlotte. You went down there. You got a couple jobs right out of college from there. We know that it's the epicenter of NASCAR, but before you got involved with Speed and with Fox, did you have that on your radar? Did you know that you maybe wanted to go into that one day or was that something that kind of just came happenstance? Yeah, it's so cheesy to say it this way, but it was the left turn in my life that I never saw coming. Like I (laughs) never had it on my radar. My last name is not Earnhardt or Petty. I did not come from like a famous lineage. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in a racing family. My dad didn't watch it. You know, he's from the Bronx. I mean, he didn't even have a car until he was like a grown adult. So our culture was just not a part of my life. Um, So I never, and I think back to that now, Davey, and I'm like, how did I not put two and two together? There was a national network 20 minutes up the road from where I was in local news. And I literally never, and I watch speed all the time. I mean, obviously yeah. if you're an anchor in Charlotte, you're throwing up highlights every single weekend in your newscasts, but I never, never even thought of it. And then um, my agent called, I was in the sports office one night, like 1130, just got off the air. And he's like, are you sitting down? And I was like, yes. And he said, um, speed wants to hire you as a reporter. They just started this new show last year called race hub. Um, and told me what they paid and I almost fell off my chair. But <laughs> I, I, yeah, he, I was at the point then three years into local that I was ready to branch out. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was going to be like ESPN. I was all about stick and ball. He sent my tape everywhere. I didn't even know he sent it there. I didn't even know speed got my tape. Um, and they were the first to call and he was, I didn't have to move. I didn't have to relocate. I could stay where my family was. And I honestly took the job, not because of racing or the love of racing. I took the job because I had only anchored my, my career up to that point. I'd never been a reporter. And I, again, go back to this overarching theme of my career, which is I never want anyone to say, I can't do that. And I'd never developed that muscle. And so I was like, okay, I can be in the field, be at a press conference, be at a race, be at a shop, ask questions, stick my mic in there. Like that's really an, a, a really great skill set that I had never experienced before. And I was very envious of sideline reporters. I remember Aaron Andrews was becoming like really big at the time. And, you know, I was watching her and just thinking, I don't have that skill set. I've never done this before. And so it was the reporter aspect of the job that got me to say yes, more so than the love of the sport. Um, but it was very quickly that I got there and got bit by the bug as we all do. And yeah, um, yeah 15 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> so it, it worked. So when you first got the call from Speed and then when you first, you know, accepted that job and and got acclimated into the swing of things started being around the sport on a day-to-day basis but even leading up to that I mean was there a moment when the tenacity was set aside for a sec and you kind of sat back and said hold on a minute I know jack shit about NASCAR what am I doing here like there must have been a steep steep learning curve for you tremendously steep and I like the analogy and I would say it a lot that I'm at the base of the mountain staring up going what the hell did I get myself into like the first two days I cried in the bathroom like I just was like so overwhelmed like and I would call I called my agent I was like I I don't know that I made the right decision like 
I don't know that I can do this job. Like wow. I, and at the time they needed someone to like go around to different shops. I didn't start going to races for like two or three years. They just wanted me. They knew that I was so green within the sport that they felt, and it was genius at the time, the show needed it, but I needed it. They just wanted me at the shops, like go to Hendrick and interview Stevie Latart, go to Gibbs and interview, you know, coach or Jimmy Maycar, whatever, go over to Roush and, and talk to them and find out the stories. And that was a great way for me to like, learn the shop, learn the people, learn the culture, learn the car. And it took me like a good two years. Like, and I leaned on, I'd come back to the studio. Well, first, before I left, I'd asked Steve Burns like 5,000 questions about whatever story they were sending me on and, and what to ask and what to know ahead of time. Um, Jeff Hammond, Larry Mack, I just wore the three of them out. Um, and then I would come back and say, well, I saw this, what does that mean? Um, but yeah, it took me like a good two years to get, to get comfortable. And, and I also knew that our fan base is so well-educated that if you don't know what you're talking about or misrepresent the information, you know, there's such lingo in our sport that if you, you know, call it, you know, uh, a track bone instead of a track bar or pit row instead of pit road or whatever, like you're going to get called out. Now this was before really social media got huge, but Mm -hmm. the network would still hear about it and you lose all respect and credibility from the viewer. So I was really, I really understood that from an early point in my career at speed that I had to get it right. And it was a huge responsibility and I was really overwhelmed. I was tenacious and wanting to be good at what I did but I was also scared to death of making a mistake and just not knowing what I don't know. And eventually I figured out that staring at the top of the mountain, figuring out how to get there was not a strategy for success. All I could do, like a few months in, I figured out all I can do is take this day by day and do the best job I can and learn the most I can every single day. And eventually it got less scary. Eventually my knowledge base started to build And each day I learned a little bit more. I would stay after my report was done. And I guess technically I could have gone home, but like I would stay and watch Steve during rehearsal. I would stay and watch Steve do the show. I would listen to the interviews. Then I'd go home, rewatch race up, start to finish. So I'd learn a lot through Steve or whoever guests they had on. Um, I'd, I was obviously watching the races. So you, you build on that. But I think yeah. just staring at the top of the mountain was so scary. It's chipping away at it where you start to to really make gains. You mentioned Steve a couple times there. He's the guy who had I had next on my outline. He was obviously so influential to so many people. And you, I know, had a really, really special relationship with him. I know he came into into the picture in your life when you got to speed and you leaned on him for a ton of advice but can you encapsulate into words? I know it's probably tough how influential he was on you from a personal perspective and then also professionally. Yeah. I mean, it's tough for me. He passed away a few years ago after an incredibly brave battle with cancer. And I, I still to this day struggle to speak about him without getting emotional, but, um, it was, um, I, it was a really special relationship and I, he was, I don't even want to say like a a work husband, but we were like this great team. Um, and he, 
helped me tremendously, not only in understanding the sport, but I think he was also such a savant at the art of television and, and just broadcasting. And so I could just, I developed this, we were very, very similar. And I think that helped. Um, we, we thought the same about television. We thought the same about storytelling. We approached race hub in a very similar way and wanted similar things out of the show. So we were very much copacetic in, in the things that we liked and the stories we chased, um, and how we thought about TV and just the type of people we were and our work ethic. So very quickly, we developed this great rapport and, I think I earned his trust and he certainly had mine. And so very quickly, I felt like I could go to him. Our offices were right next to each other. Um, and so he always had an open, like literally an open door policy. It was always open. He was always on his computer, always um, from sun up to sundown till he got off the air. And he was always learning. He was always reading. He was always researching. He was always talking to somebody in the sport, chasing a story. And I would just like, go in with my, you know, my questions and we would just sit and talk and he would take his glasses off, turn his chair around. And he had these like comfy chairs in the back of his office and he would turn around and we would just sit there and just talk for hours and um, just created an incredible friendship and an incredible bond that was on air and off air. Um, and then in the off season, um, I was really content just being the reporter of the show and then management changed and they wanted to make it a two anchor show, maybe 2013. Um, we didn't know. And then I remember we were in Daytona for the preseason, like during speed weeks. And Steve was great, but Larry and I joke, like Steve had a temper, like he was like a butterfly. Or he was a bee yeah. and you didn't know it could swing on the drop of a dime. And I remember sitting outside on the stairs of old victory lane and he like kicked the door open, like to outs from inside. We had like little offices in there. We did hair and makeup. And then upstairs was the set, um, overlooking the front stretch. And he just kicks the door open. And he's like, have you checked your email? And I was like, no, he's like, well, you better, you need to I'm like, okay. So I go inside and there's this email to us that they're changing the show from a one-man show to a two-person show. And I was now his co-host anchoring Race Hub. And they were extending it from like a half an hour to an hour. And um, I don't think that, I didn't take it personally that, I don't think he was angry that it wasn't just his show, that he had to share the set with me. I think he was probably a little angry that he was not a part of that conversation and yeah. that people did not respect enough that he should have been a part of that conversation. I think he deserved that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's pretty tough to just send an email like that. I mean, they kind of created this show for Steve as he loved to tell the story, like David Hill, the creator of Fox sports had told Steve, like we're creating the show in 2009. You you're the guy we're centering the show around. You're the face. And so Again, there was a lot of management changes over the years, but to deliver the news to him like that, I think caught him off guard. Yeah. And I was like petrified because I thought, well, I can't co-anchor this show with Steve if he's mad that I'm there. But I learned over time quickly, he wasn't mad at me. Right. Um, I think we we fell into like a great rhythm. And I think that that really took our, it certainly took my career to a, a different level, but I think it took our relationship to a different level. Um, and we just became incredibly close. And I, I think that was why when he passed, it was so incredibly difficult. Um, 
I remember like asking our boss, like at his wake, um, like, what are we going to do tomorrow? And he was like, we're going to do the show, but it wasn't Steve. There was someone else. And I was too young at the time and had not lost somebody that I loved that much to really wrap my mind around it. I didn't know how the show was going to go on. I didn't know how to continue. I, I, you can't just, it's not a cut and paste deal, but, but in television, it has to be right. Like the show has to continue. And I certainly couldn't carry it by myself. And um, so, yeah, just an incredible loss, but also an incredible friendship. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I know that was, uh, he left a big impact on a lot of people. And yeah. you are probably one of the ones that I remember the most interacting with him in an on-camera role. So lots of cool stories. Great guy. And his legacy obviously will will live on long, long after we are gone too. So he was obviously one super influential guy at Fox Sports and Speed, who you work with very, very closely. And the other one, to me at least, is Larry Mack, obviously. When was the first time that you remember interacting with him, whether it be off camera, on camera? Do you remember the first time you and Larry Mack got together? I would say one of them, it was probably prior to this that we had started doing shows together um, because he was a, a regular analyst. But I remember really early on, like when they did start sending me to the track, they had these like shows that would fill the gap between practice and qualifying, or if there was a gap in any on track activity, mm -hmm. it was like a week update. So it was whatever was happening within the sport, just updates, speed charts, um, that kind of stuff. And we're at Pocono and it's raining, shocking. <laughs> so, <laughs> we kind of were just in rain fill at this point, because now the qualifying or practice or happy hour or whatever that was scheduled obviously cannot go on. And we still have a window of broadcasting to fill. So it was really my, probably my first time experiencing what rain fill was. Um, and I was still so new. And I remember Larry, like in commercial telling the guys like in his mic, like, Hey guys, we have weepers on the track. Like this, this is, it's coming oh down. For You're like, and you I, have what? And I remember looking at him and I was like, what's a weeper. It's <laughs> like, get, gets a camera guy. Like, Hey, get a shot over here coming off turn three. And they zoom in on it. And he's like, see where, where the water is coming through the pavement and, kind of bubbling over like that's that's a weeper water is coming out of the racetrack that's a bad thing you don't want that it's supposed to run off the racetrack and I was like oh okay but he told you that instead of laughing at you you know but that was so Larry like I think that's the thing like him and Hammond and Bernsey came to me in the beginning and said there is no dumb question like ask us anything you want like we've spent our whole life in this sport you know way more about tv than we do we know way more about NASCAR than you do. And so it was this great kind of symbiotic relationship. Um, and so he explained it to me and I was like, okay, coming back, I'm going to, we're going to talk about weepers. And then um, I had no idea. We didn't have a, like, it, you're just on the air for God yeah. knows how long. And I was like, I'm just going to talk. And I just want you to answer. And he was like, I got you girl. I got you. And that Alabama <laughs> accent. And that was like our moment. I feel like that was like our bonding moment. It was like, okay, I know this guy's got my back. I've got his back. And uh, and we just continued to roll. I don't remember anything else other in the show other than coming back and talking about weepers. Just but the weepers. 
Yeah, just the weepers. But I feel like that's that's kind of my first real memory of working with him. Yeah, but I mean, it, it speaks volumes for for how he handled that situation, how you handled the rainfill situation. Which, let me tell you guys, if you're watching NBC or Fox this year and they're they're in a rain delay, God, that is hard. I mean, I haven't even done. I've never worked like in television in NASCAR during a race, but I know that that is so incredibly hard. And I think that story is kind of a microcosm of your guys' relationship where, and you talk about it on track too all the time. Like he knows more about NASCAR and more about racing in his one pinky than we will ever know in our entire lives. And you know how to run a show, whether it be on television or on radio. And I think that relationship and you guys have that common understanding and that common ground. And speaking now about the show on track on Sirius, you guys had that relationship previously on television. So it wasn't like, you know, now you're going into your fourth year together, but I'm sure when you guys started, it wasn't a feeling out period. Let me get to know you, how you operate, let you can see how I operate. It was kind of like riding a bike again, I assume. And, you know, you're back with your guy and you guys knew how each other interacted, how to play off of each other. And it's been going on four years now. Yeah. And I don't think that that was random. I think that was really by design um, and carefully cultivated. Like when Daniel Norwood from Sirius called and said, we want to break up the midday. We want to do a show. We'd love for you to host it. Let's talk about analysts. And so there was Larry McReynolds and then a very short list of others. And we kept going back to Larry Mack. And I think for all the reasons you just mentioned, I think the, the, um, the level in which he understands the sport, the notoriety he brings to the sport, having been on Fox for over 20 years. Um, it just works. His likability. Yeah. I mean, there were so many reasons where we just kept coming back to Larry and we thought, well, with his, his Fox stuff, like that's going to be a huge ask and a tough get. Um, but he said, yes. And I'm hoping maybe some of that I've never asked him was because it was with me and he had this trust and kind of comfort level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say the only thing like that was, there was so much great muscle memory there. Like we just, we jive really well on air, but I think in talk radio is so different than television. And my role on TV at Fox was ask the question. My role at Fox was to never give my opinion and talk radio. The premise of talk radio is you give your opinion and then you ask the caller for theirs for that's way it. longer than you do on TV too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing in TV. You get like 30 seconds on radio, you have two hours. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn how to stretch. And I also, I think Larry had to learn because Larry was used to just taking the ball. Larry had to kind of learn with me to like, give it back. And so it became this conversation. Whereas at Fox, it was more of a Q and a, and that's a very different. So I, and I didn't even know that going in. I didn't think that through until I got in the air and went, Danielle, this isn't race hub. This isn't a TV show. Mm -hmm. Like, to be good at talk radio is very different than to be good on TV. And so the relationship and the chemistry was natural, but then it's perfecting your craft because it was a different medium. That's something that I frankly am still working through, like even with this show and then the things that I do on camera that aren't necessarily live on television, but I find myself almost stumbling over my words when I'm trying to do something on camera because I try to make things conversational, but on TV, you don't have time to make things conversational. You need to get to the point, do it quick and do it well. And what you mentioned about that transition from television to radio, that's something that I've tried to work on and that I'm trying to pride myself on with the 
multimedia aspect that you have to have in today's world. So adjusting from a television-based background to being a radio host for two hours and the key word there being host, you know, you are the one throwing the ball and receiving the ball. That had to be one of probably the harder adjustments to for you when you took that job on track because, yes, you're working with Larry. That's great. Yes, you're a NASCAR. You know it. You're firmly planted there. But at the same time, it's a whole different discipline. Yeah, and I would – Going back to something you said, though, I think that you because I'm I'm exactly like you. I want to be conversational. I think you can be conversational in television, even if you only have 20 seconds. It's it's the way in which you write your words or cultivate your words or maybe more importantly, how you deliver them. Good point. Um, but there is a way to be formal, but also, I think, conversational and, and finding that balance, I think, is what separates people who are reading the news or delivering something and or or making it feel like I'm in your living room and that's mm -hmm. that's a part of the skill set that you'll you'll get as you continue to kind of develop that muscle but um but yeah it was incredibly hard and and Dave Moody would like tease me all the time and he was like girl you're good at this stop saying you're not good at this but I would call Dave Moody a lot early on and I was like I suck like I know I suck like I'm not good at I've never done radio um, in like I did in high school, but not in my adult professional career. You're a Hall of Famer, give yourself more credit. <laughs> yeah. Where's my blue jacket? Yeah. <laughs> um, it is so incredibly hard. And I watched going back to like the Bob Costas Hannah Storm story. I once I knew what I wanted to do, I watched television differently. So I wasn't watching just sitting on my couch absorbing it aimlessly. I was watching you know the nuances of what these people did you so can i never had, watch a broadcast a show or listen to what you can never do it the same never it ruins it for you right in some <laughs> it ways it, it ruins it for you as the casual viewer because it, it becomes studying an art it's probably like a driver like you and i just watch a race they probably are are watching so many different nuances of oh, this yeah. driving skill set or whatever um yeah so i had been doing that for decades I knew how to do that. I had, I had to start doing that. It was like drinking through a fire hose. I started listening to like Howard Stern and Pat McAfee and these folks that I thought did a real Dave Moody, who I think is a legend, just so packed with talent on radio. It's not even funny. And so I would start listening to them at nauseum just, and then, then I moved to Boston, which was a whole nother deal because I think Boston radio is just iconic in its own way and so cutthroat and so good. I mean, those guys are yeah. making, no one makes millions in radio except for like guys in Boston and Howard. Like those, <laughs> like if you're making millions at anything, you are freaking good at it. And they were. And I was like, so I would just sit in my car and I'd listen to Dave or I'd sit in the car and listen to Boston radio or I'd sit in the car and just like, listen to Howard. Cause I was just, and I would write notes and I was just like their transitions. And I'm still, I'm still, I think I suck at it, You don't. but I'm still all the time trying to like pick up what they do because I feel like I'm so, I studied TV for so long Yeah. and I just didn't, didn't do that with radio. So now I'm, I'm trying to learn as I go, which is difficult. I can tell you, you do not suck. You never did suck, <laughs> yep. at least to my knowledge. So please take me at my word. You do not suck. Um, I want to get into the Boston aspect of things. But before we go any further, I, I can't believe we've been talking for almost an hour and I haven't even brought up Robbie. 
But since we're kind of talking about Larry, he is the one that got you and Robbie together. Can you please kind of tell that story and how you got hooked up with your now husband, Robbie Benton? Yes. Larry likes to call himself Dr. Love. He's batting a thousand in the love yes, department. Yes, he is, baby. Robbie's quick version. So Robbie, my husband, is a is a third generation racer, loved racing his whole life. That's all he ever loved or cared about or wanted to do. His dad worked on the road crew with Robert Yates. So he was really close with Davey and Robert and um, Larry. And so when Robbie was like 12 or 13, he wanted to work at the race shop and he was too young to be like legally employed, but he asked Larry and eventually he let him like sweep the floors and coil the air hoses. And so Robbie was like, thought that was like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and then he grew up and he like got to be a part of the road crew while he was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, and so my father-in-law and Larry are really close. Robbie and Larry are really close. So fast forward, Robbie owns his own Xfinity team. And Larry, I think was working TNT broadcast at the time and needed a car and a pit crew to do like a segment for the pre-race show. And so he went over into Robbie's hauler and was like, Hey, can I borrow your guys in a car? And Robbie was like, yeah, whatever you need. So then they do the segment afterwards. Larry's like, Hey man, what do I owe you? Like, what, what can I pay you? What do you, and he, Robbie was like, don't worry about it. Like, and Larry's like, okay, man, I really appreciate it. But like, if you ever need anything, you let me know. And Robbie was like, can I have Danielle Trotta's number? <laughs> and I think Slot he goes, in there, Robbie. Yeah, I think he had Alex Bowman driving for him at the time. He did. And Bowman was on Race Hub. And I guess he had watched that uh, that segment that evening to see like how his driver did on the show uh -huh. and saw me. And, you know, I'm so new to racing. No one really knew who I was. But I think that was like eight or nine months before. And he was just like watch, sitting back watching like to try to figure me out. But like we never crossed paths. So then... um yeah. He asked Larry for my number. And then I was at Fox one morning and Larry peeps in on, on a Monday morning. And he said, I know someone that wants to take you on a date. <laughs> like who? I've heard that story so many times and it never, <laughs> not, it never not makes me laugh. It's so good. <laughs> so good. And I kind of had like a rule, like I didn't date racers. I didn't hang out in the garage, sort of speak. I didn't, yeah. I just always really tried to draw a very strict line um i did not want it to mix business with pleasure yeah of course and ruin my reputation um and so i was really hesitant but um yeah it all worked out we went on a blind date and the rest was history yes. <laughs> so yes, good sure for larry <laughs> dr love at your service dr. Love. <laughs> taking toll-free calls at 866 pit lane from 11 to 1 every single monday through friday you know what i want to do once Larry is done with television, which will probably never happen, but I want a spinoff of this Dr. Love. I want me and Larry to be the traveling chapel for NASCAR. I want Ooh. Larry to be the pastor and marry couples in the infield at races. Okay. And I'm the wedding coordinator. So I get your paperwork, your flowers. Yeah. You can get motor racing, motor racing outreach to officiate everything. I think this could work. Well, I want Larry to be the officiant. I want That's Larry fine. to be, yeah. Cause I mean, who doesn't want to get married by America's crew chief? I so I'm sure the licensing fee will be, I don't know if it's in our budget. I might have to find investors. Uh -huh. <laughs> Count me in, assuming I have the money. 
Yes, I we won't charge. We we will try not to pay, pass on the the high prices. But yeah. I I like that's how I want me and Larry to go out one day. Yes, that would be that'd be a hell of a legacy. I mean, you guys have a great show, but I think that would be your guys's lasting legacy. Who cares that Larry's like a Hall of Fame caliber level yeah, crew chief with Davey and Dale? That would be a legacy if I've ever seen one right there. Come on, I mean, come on, it would be amazing. <laughs> oh man. Speaking of a uh, hard left turns, I want to mention and, and touch on your time in Boston when we were first coworkers, but didn't really know it or put it together yes. at uh, NBC Sports Boston. So at that time, if I have the timeline right, your time with Race Hub and with Fox came to an end and you ended up landing there at NBC Sports Boston. Was it a matter of something where uh, management changed at Fox, the Boston opportunity was available, you had some ties to that area and you love your boy Tommy, so you said... This seems like a great opportunity. Let's do it. It was it was all Tom Brady. No, I um Tom actually I, asked you to go there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um I I think it was just like I I kept hearing this voice that was like a, a whisper and then I kept getting louder. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at Fox. <clears throat> but I really I just felt there was this voice telling me to do other things, to try other things. Um, I sort of didn't want to get pigeonholed into only being the girl that did racing because I loved so many other sports. And I thought I want to be the person, I want to be the woman at like 80 on the rocking chair saying I did everything. And so how could I achieve that if I was only doing one thing? So I started just thinking about stick and ball and the voice got louder and louder until I felt like it was really time um, to pursue that. So I kind of jumped out of the boat, the boat without a life vest or seeing any sort of land, which is extremely scary to walk away from a really successful, um, career with Fox. But, um, there was just something in me that felt like it was time. So I'm, yeah, I'm so grateful. My agent was like, I don't think there's a better stick and ball town than Boston. Um, and he was right. I mean, it's incredibly cutthroat and extremely competitive, even from a media perspective. But then like within six months, I covered a world series and a super bowl. Like that's you, what happens in new England. <laughs> that's what, like, I could not have covered those of like, that's what I wanted to do. And I experienced it in the first six months. Like I don't, there was nothing else, nowhere else that I could have replicated that. Um, and then I started doing like sideline for the Celtics. Like, are you kidding me? I'm on the parquet at the garden. Like, this is insane. Like, how did I get, it was just like, and then you're like interviewing Brady and you're on the field with the Patriots and the Red Sox were on fire and they never got like to the Stanley cup final, but well, one year they did, but got pretty close while I was there. The, um, the hockey team was to the Bruins were still really competitive. So yeah, it was the Boston marathon, the parades, Brady's last year in New England and then the breakup and the departure to Tampa. I mean, it was just like the timing of it from 2018 to 2020, you could not have timed it better. I mean, I just covered things and experienced things and told stories that otherwise I never, and, and worked with some incredibly talented people that are lifelong friends. Yeah. So it's, I find that interesting because you've established yourself in the NASCAR world, in the motorsports world, after having no real desire to do so, kind of came up on you and you enjoyed it. But then you had that little devil on your shoulder. I shouldn't say devil. You had something on your shoulder that told you, you know, I want to try something else. But then you kind of got roped back into the NASCAR world and you never left, obviously, because Robbie's in your life, clearly. But 
you got roped back in in the sense of El Supremo called you and wanted you to come on board and and run on track. So when you got that call, was there any hesitancy saying like, wait, hold on, I just kind of changed trajectories here. Do I want to go back or was there not really a thought and the opportunity was kind of too good to pass up? Yeah. I mean, I was excited. I didn't have to really think much about it. I, I was like, so thankful. Um, I never wanted to give up NASCAR. It was, I, I didn't want it to be addition by subtraction. It wasn't that I wanted to leave NASCAR in the rear view. I wanted to have my cake and I wanted to eat it too. And I think that's really tough, right? Like the network could not have said like, you can do both. And so I had to make a decision, but I never wanted to leave it. And so when it came back into my life, I I jumped at it. I was so incredibly grateful that Daniel was like, cause I missed it. I missed it. You missed the, you know how it is. You, mm-hmm. you know, the drivers, you know, the team owners, you know, the sport, you know, the people, they become your friends and watching it just as a spectator was difficult. I didn't feel like I had any skin in the game. And so when Sirius called and said, Hey, come back. And it's with Larry. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I could do it from Boston in my house. Like, and it fit my TV schedule. Cause I was hosting a show at night. It was just, it was too good of an opportunity to yeah. pass up. So it kind of became like the best of both worlds. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. You can, you know, pigeonhole yourself. If you want to use that term disparagingly in an industry and focus on that one thing and do it really, really well, or you can be confident enough to say, look, I'm good at this. I, I know my stuff, but I also want to learn this other discipline and I want to do something else. And even if it's not the most comfortable thing for me, or I might not be the most familiar with it, if the opportunity's there, you'd be a fool not to take it. So I think that is the same position for you doing what you did with NBC Sports Boston and also having Tommy there, who may or may not have recruited you up there, and yeah. covering a Super Bowl, covering a World Series. I mean, you got to diversify your skill set after you were already established in not just the NASCAR industry, but media in general, which I feel like is is pretty rare nowadays. Yeah. And I think, you know, I had done some sideline with NFL on Fox and we had had those conversations. Like I certainly went to my employer. I wasn't just like, Hey, I'm leaving. Oh, definitely. Like we, cer- we certainly had those conversations, but I, you know, it's hard to just plug and play. Certain people are in places for a certain amount of time under contract and it's just not always that easy. Um, and so the timing didn't necessarily work out. And I also really wanted to cover the NBA and I knew Fox didn't have that package like they covered some collegiate basketball, but mm-hmm. um, the NBA is just me and my dad's first love. So um, he was a basketball coach. He was a player. I played. He was my coach. Very Goes cool. back to Bob Costas, Hannah Storm, NBA on NBC Full Story. Like, that was our thing. And so I really wanted to cover the NBA. And so... I just started looking at the professional landscape and realized like Fox just doesn't, there's nothing against them. They just don't own that property. Right. And so, um, and then, yeah, like my dad's team was the Celtics, but so it just, I don't know, it just all kind of worked out. It was written in the stars, I guess, but it was like the first time I did a game at the garden in, in the, in Manhattan against the Knicks, like taking pictures. Like I was like, dad, I'm doing a game at the garden. Like the, like just, it just pinch me moments. Cause he's from there and we used to go there and watch games. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just, some people, there's two ways to go about it. I think 
you know, I think about Mike Joy all the time and, and Jamie Little, I think is a great example. Like she said, she's had other opportunities and she just wants to cover motorsports. Like Mike Joy knows more about autom- automobiles than any other human, I think on the face of the earth and does it extremely well. And like, that's yes. what he does. Like, and that's what she does. And they are two of the best that have ever done it. And I truly respect, I respect it a lot um, and what they've done with their career. I just had a passion and a background with lots of other things that I wanted to go pursue. And I don't think there's one right way to go about it. And you know this, like if you're a doctor, there's one traditional route to do that, right? You go to school, you have your residency in television or radio or whatever, there's a million ways to get there. And there's a million different way, ways, paths that you could take your career. Yep. Um, I just, I had a lot of itches that I wanted to scratch and I knew that if I, because a lot of people thought I was crazy and told me to my face that I was nuts, but I just, I knew that I had to follow my heart and follow my gut. And I, if I didn't try to pursue other things that I was interested in, I would have regretted it. And you came out well or better on the other side. And I think that's really admirable. So admirable. So that's, that's really cool. All right. I got one more semi-serious one and then we'll get into a couple fun quick hitters and i'll let you run i so appreciate your time um in terms of hosting on track how has that job for you changed since the pandemic began like has it changed at all because you were you're always remote i mean all of our hosts are pretty much remote on zoom has it changed much for you in terms of the logistics of it not really i mean i tell people like that was really a blessing because we worked from home before the pandemic now everybody works from home or the majority of people want to work from home if they get a chance to trendsetter yeah we were trendsetters it was just a happy accident really but (laughs) we were already like el supremo was already like shipping boxes to you in your house and so you have all your gear and you have an internet connection and away you go which is why I think we were able to stay on air when so many people, like I was working for NBC Boston at the time. We, like every other network around the country, were scrambling to figure out what to do. Sirius just kept going. Even when NASCAR for that brief moment was trying to figure out how to can still continue with racing, we just kind of kept plugging away. iRacing came along. So we were covering iRacing, which is something I never- (laughs) What a time. What a time. Um, and so that was really the only, like we, we had to tape shows, um, cause we were yeah. just trying to, to figure things out. And I think you remember this, like we were taping a show and then it would air the next day, but there wasn't really, I think any I need. came, I came at the tail end of when we were doing that. Cause I actually started a little over a year ago right now. I started in January of 2021. So I, I, all I know is how we operate in the midst of a pandemic still, as, as we're still kind of working through it. But I had heard how things were then morphed into when NASCAR was shut down and the world was shut down. And I just cannot imagine doing hours upon hours of radio with no live on track action. And then when the iRacing came along, I mean, God bless you. If you still don't think you're good at radio after that and coming through the other side, I don't know what to say to you. I had a really hard time with it. Like, I was like, I don't know if I want to cover uh, like a game. <laughs> like, I can't take this seriously. So we would do a recap, but I was just like, I'm not diving into the nuances of this. Like no. this, this soon shall pass. Um, and luckily, and you know, and it, it got us through and I'm so thankful. And it I served think its purpose. Definitely. It totally served its purpose. But we, um, 
we did that for a little while. We were taping shows and we didn't get burned because by breaking news, because there was nothing really happening within the sport. Um, But that, that was for a really, really, really brief period of time. Like a few weeks I had moved home once the pandemic hit. Um, I moved because Robbie kind of stayed in Charlotte. I mean, he never moved to Boston. So we were long distance for two years. The pandemic hit. My boss at NBC was like, Hey, we're going to do this show on a thing called zoom. And I was like, Oh, it's on a computer. So like a thing I, called zoom simpler times. Yeah, wow. I know. And now it's like our life. We're oh. on it now. But, um, he was like, yeah, I don't care where you do the show. So literally like, I didn't even have to like, I no longer had to be in Boston to work for Boston. Mm-hmm. I could be home with my husband and my family after being apart for almost two years. So we kind of like had to figure out a little home studio like everyone else was where you have the fake bookshelf or whatever. So in the morning I was doing radio at night, I was doing TV from my house, like the blazer on top and the sweats on bottom, like everyone else was, it was like, I never thought I would do television from my house. That was so surreal and so strange. The radio stuff with Sirius was, you just kept moving. Cause that's, yeah. we were, that was easy. Cause we had always done it that way. Right. All right. A uh, couple quick hitters. And I'll let you run. Were you in Logan Lucky for a hot sec? Like, were you in any racing movie? I thought you were. Okay. You're like Graham Bensinger. You really do your research. I do go in depth. What can I say? You do. Um, I love that show. Um, Yes, Adam Alexander and I. um, Yeah, Double A was there too. Yeah, they they asked us if we could shoot like a scene um, and Steven Soderbergh, produced the film um like incredibly famous director right so we're just like we have to do this little scene and um we didn't think much of it right so in walks steven steven soderbergh like walks in to our studio oh boy asner his wife who used to be an anchor on e when i was like a little girl who i like idolized so these two walk in and Adam and I look at each other. Like I thought like an assistant or something was going right. to direct. Our scene. You didn't expect the man to be there. You didn't need to be there, but he was like shooting scenes with Channing Tatum and they'd stop at Charlotte motor speedway the next day. So he had traveled in from LA and I guess because we were shooting, he was just like, it's right next to Charlotte motor speedway. Like hell just drop by and watch the scene. And I remember like, then I was like, Whoa, like I am, I was like, sir, is there anything like we need to do? Like, <laughs> you know, I don't know what this man's like expecting of us. Yeah. And he's like, just be yourself. Like, just do what you do. And we were like, okay. So they had the fake driver, like Fox made the graphics with like mm-hmm. the fake driver behind us. And we read our couple scenes and we had to like ask ahead of time to get a picture with him. And he graciously said, yes. Um, but he was like him and his people, they were in, they were out. And uh, then the movie came out. It was funny. NASCAR did this like premiere party uptown and I brought my hair and makeup girl from uh, Fox with me. And it was like Robbie, me and her. And my scene is so short, just to give you an indication of how short the scene was. We watched the whole film at this premiere and we get up when the scene's over and she goes, were you in it? (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, like really? It was so, it was like short but sweet. It was so, I was like, that, that is so embarrassing. It was like the short, it was like the shortest little segment in film. But you were in the movie. You can say that. Yeah, we were in the movie. Did you get to meet Channing Tatum? 
We didn't. I heard that he was filming the next day some mm. scenes at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and we, I guess they said like you could have gone out there, like right. because the film, like they probably would have allowed you on set. Um, but I was like, it's my one day off. I'm I'm good. <laughs> I think Robbie was pretty happy you didn't end up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, what about anything else? Have you been in any other like major motion picture or NASCAR related like show or anything like that? Cause I feel like there's a lot of different things where there's random cameos. Like Jamie Little has been in a couple things. She's in a damn video game, you know, or is Logan lucky or one thing. Yeah. I feel like I'm trying to think. Maybe you're in something for two seconds and even you missed it. <laughs> yeah, like my hair and makeup girl. She had no exactly. idea I was even in it. Yeah. Um, trying to i i think we definitely like i don't think there's anything like specific that comes to mind there's definitely like people where you feel like this would happen a lot when we were at the track like certain people are filming today for whatever right. project you might be in the background or whatever but just do mm -hmm. your thing and nothing ever came of it and i never heard of it right. um so logan lucky might be my my only one to date okay there you go uh anybody that knows you and listens to the show knows that you are a t-swizzle fanatic as no, is. I I am Kyle is. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Kyle I, is a T Swizzle fanatic. And yeah. you 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 indulge him though, which I'm sure I, he appreciates. That's the perfect way to say it. I wouldn't even consider myself a Taylor Swift fan. We just nor does Larry. But Larry does not like Taylor Swift. No. Yeah, I think we think all her um so I think she's an incredibly talented artist, but we do feel like a lot of her songs sound the same. Um <laughs> you've heard them one, you've heard them all. Um, I, Kyle is like your little pesky brother that just kept like hounding you until, you know, you would just tolerate it. Uh -huh. So that's what we do. But if, if there's a choice, we would probably not include those as, as rejoins. Cause you like your rejoins. Like you like rap hip hop music, right? Yes. Yeah, that's my thing too. I think we're probably the only two people on the channel that <laughs> would choose that first. <laughs> I choose that first. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I asked for my rap, hip hop, R&B, and Larry asked for his ACDC. And then Taylor Swift gets snuck in every now and again. And that's yep. kind of, that's kind of where we've come to. Yeah. It all balances each other out. So it's a, it's a good harmonious relationship with you three. Oh, I'm just trying to keep people hip. You know what I mean? You got to yeah. know the current jams. Same. I mean, I, I had to tell Mike and Pete this morning that the young kids out there think that birds are not real and that they're government drones. And they didn't know that that was a conspiracy <laughs> theory. So got to keep them young. You know, what would they do without you, Davey? I don't know. I don't know. Thanks to El Supremo for hiring me to give our host conspiracy theories from the youngins. That's what I do best. I'm very thankful that he hired you for a multitude of reasons, but that that's a good one. Oh, that's well, a thank you. I appreciate that. I know Bravo Bravo shows. You are an enthusiast of those. I have to tell you, cause I haven't gotten the chance to like chit chat with you, like offline like this at the start of the pandemic. And it is still going on. My girlfriend has gotten me absolutely hooked on below deck and I hate myself for it, but I love it. It's so good. Yes. We're still catching up. We're on like the fifth season of med with uh, Pete, the deckhand who I think like has some weird stuff happen later on. And Hannah just quit. Sorry, spoilers. I should have said that. But uh, yeah, I'm hooked and I kind of hate myself for it. <laughs> See, and Below Deck is like a great entrance show. It's kind of your Bravo gateway drug that will oh. take you off into like other, perhaps other shows within. Well, my, like mom is, my mom is a Bravo fanatic, but I don't think that I can do more than that. 
So don't tell me it's the gateway. That scares me. Try, I'm just going to throw a few out too. Because Real Housewives, I, I don't know that I see you really going there. Um, Jersey, Housewives in New Jersey debuts next Tuesday. I'm very excited. Um, Summer House. I've heard of that. Dale Jr. and Amy Earnhardt are fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard that they were such fans. They even like choreographed a dinner with the cast and have now become friends with some wow. of them. They're like all in. Look at that um, go. Yeah. Summer House is a good one. And I worked with the show I'm working on now. The audio guy is from Charleston. I was like, did you work on Summer House? And he's like, actually, <laughs> yeah, I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of episodes like doing audio. And I was like, what is Thomas like? What is Catherine like? What's Patricia <laughs> like? Like I'm asking, like he was like, oh my god, this girl just became like a psycho. The important um, questions. Try summer house. Try summer house and try. I'm sorry. Try Southern Charm and try summer house. I can make no promises, but I promise you that <laughs> if there is ample time and we get through below deck, I will try those. I I can make that promise to you that I will try to try them. How about that? Summer House just started. We're only two episodes in. Monday nights, nine o'clock. You can thank me later. Okay, I'll do my best. Uh, how are we feeling about your boy Tommy for next year? Because he's saying some cryptic stuff right now about you know he's fulfilled. He likes to make his kids breakfast and pancakes in the morning. But I just I don't see him going out like this. I don't think so either. Corey LaJoy and I were talking about this on today's uh, serious show, and we're both in agreement. He's done this cryptic stuff before where yeah. he, he kind of I think he does this to create buzz like he's very smart he knows what he's doing I knew that he was going to do this because this is this is his playbook he will not give you a straight answer he's going to stay in the gray mm-hmm. I do believe that Giselle for a number of years on record has said like she wants him to retire he has nothing left to prove the kids are getting older she makes more um, money than him they're richer than God um yeah, yeah. so he doesn't need to do this. I think he wants to do this. I think I, and, and here's the other thing, Davey, like you think that was his last game. No. Like you, that's how he's going to go out. That, that's what I'm like, saying. No, Tony Stewart gave the fans their swan song. You announce it in the off season going into the year that it's your final year. And why did smoke do that? Because he said, I want every Tony Stewart fan that's bought the t-shirt, bought the tickets, bought the die cast to be able to come see me one last time. If they so choose. You think that's Tom cares the- enough though? Yes. That's the way you do it. When you're the goat, he's going to tell people so he can have his swan song. He's not okay. just going to lose in the divisional round and walk off like a loser. And then we never see him again. I don't know. I mean, if Byron Leftwich goes to Jacksonville, then he's losing his O coordinator. He's probably going to lose some pieces in the offseason. Gronk isn't getting any younger. So I don't know if he wants to realistically, like, learn a new playbook and, you know, learn his new teammates and stuff. So I don't think he's going to quit. Like, I don't think he's going out like that. But I, I wouldn't be shocked. I would be surprised, though. So I think that's I a know. really interesting point. He's not going to come back if he doesn't have the pieces to be successful. No which I think is why he brought Gronk and Antonio Brown from new England. And he knew exactly what pieces he needed to win a super bowl. And he did it. Um, Antonio Brown's gone. Gronk said at this point, if you ask me if I'm coming back, the answer is no. So they have, they have major holes to fill. And I think if he knows that they can't plug those holes, then yeah, then maybe he walks away. But I would, at this point, I'd be surprised. 
I lied. One more serious question. Is there anything else do, that you want to do or that you'd like to do in the industry or in, in media in general? Like, is there one race that you want to work? Is there one sporting event you want to cover? Is there another sport you want to dip your toe in? Or maybe that's something that you haven't thought about and you'll have to get back to me. But I'm always curious to people that are well experienced and very established if there's anything that they still want to accomplish. Yeah, there's so many things um, that I feel like I haven't done yet. Um, but I would say like one, I got super close to, I felt like in my time with NBC and then the pandemic hit, I don't know that it would have happened regardless, but I was closer than I had been, which was the Olympics because they've owned that property um, forever. And they use a lot of regional talent for yeah. the summer and winter games. And so we had, you know, talked about that a little bit. Um, and I was so excited people either love or hate, like they either get into it or they don't. The, the winter Olympics are like a week away. I'm much more of a summer games person than Me a too. winter games person. Um, but to do any Olympics would be, that's that's on the bucket list for sure. Hopefully that's Rutledge Wood is listening. He can hook us up. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. A lot of my friends from Boston were, were doing stuff in, uh, in Tokyo and I'm like peppering them, just like inundating them with DMs. Yeah. Like, what's it like? What was this like? What was it like meeting this person? Like, I just geek out over it. And they're just yeah. like, oh my God, I'm trying to do my job. <laughs> Please stop. Do you watch <laughs> swimming I, a lot since you did that in high school? Yeah. And then I covered, uh, when I left Fox before NBC, I covered uh, for ESPN. I did a couple swimming packages. Oh, cool. So I covered like Caleb Dressel and um, a lot of the names that you saw. So you were, you were OG. You knew these guys and gals before they were big deals. That's pretty cool. When they were in college, some of them had already like Lily King and Caleb and um, Katie Ledecky, they had already won some Olympic medals, but they had not yeah. gone pro yet. And this was their last year in college. Um, but yeah, that was really cool. Like I was just like geeking out over them and got to know them for a few months and then saw them in Tokyo and was just like, so happy for them and they all had incredible success and won all these medals and i was like i knew you when you were in college when you were a baby. <laughs> um so, cool. so yeah i definitely want i had added incentive to watch them but gymnastics swimming diving must must see tv i love gymnastics swimming and i like track as well just seeing those guys just absolutely run out of their own shoes that is that is fun. All right. Last, the most important question. Has your dog been snoring for like for the last 45 minutes? Is that what I hear? I'm so sorry, Davey. I'm so no, sorry. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Cause I saw you one time you like looked over and you were like, shut up. And I've heard this kind of like, this kind of like for the last oh like 45 God. minutes. I didn't know if like Robbie was watching TV or if like somebody was cutting the lawn or if it was on my end, I if I left the fan so, on. I'm so embarrassed. What's your dog's name again? Sorry. Izzy. Oh, Izzy's just a little tired. Oh my God. This no, please don't be embarrassed because I think I'm that's the best part of this entire conversation. I thought I'm serious. Well, that's that's bad. That doesn't say a lot about me. But <laughs> I I was hoping that you didn't hear it and I thought you would have stopped us and like said something if it was bad. Oh. Like maybe Davey doesn't hear it. I am so sorry. She Don't apologize. This is great radio, podcast, whatever. This it happens every day on Sirius. The difference is I have a mute button right here. Yep. So when Larry's talking and she's snoring, I have my mute button hit. 
I don't have a mute button on Davey's podcast, so I am sorry you had to hear this. Also, on Sirius, like, I think Mike and Pete, since they have their own headsets, they may be able to hear a little bit clearer. I'm not sure. I never hear her snoring on Sirius because I think it might be the microphone, and since it's, like, closer oh. to you and it only picks up a certain thing in range, I don't know, but I've never heard it, and, and they said that they have. But, I mean, it wasn't clear as day on this, but I could definitely hear some humming. So God. Izzy's just enjoying her peaceful slumber. Please, it's it's literally not a big deal. It's I think it's hilarious, and I think everybody else will think so too. That was great. If she could stay awake, she'd know more about NASCAR than any dog on the face of the planet because she's at my feet for the show every day. Is that where she is? She's at your feet? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, during I, the show. Right now, she's on the other side of the room, and you can still hear it, but typically <laughs> she's... Oh. Well, that's what I was going to say, because if she's at your feet, it makes sense because, you know, it's pretty like out there pronounced like I hear it's almost like I feel the vibrations of her snoring. But if she's still across the room, that's that's powerful. Good for her. She is a 20 pound Shih Tzu. She snores like a 300 pound bear. Like it's Larry. Larry has this adorable, like giggly laugh when he finds something really funny. It's so cute. And. For three years, this has been happening, and he still will get in commercial break, and he laughs like it's the first time. Like, uh, we'll be quiet for a second. No one's talking. We're both, like, writing notes or something, and he'll just hear her, and he starts, like, giggle laughing, and he can't stop. <laughs> and I was like, at least she provides amusement, because other than that, she's uh, utterly useless. Oh, amusement for sure. Oh, my God. All right. I'll let you go. I'll let you go wake her up and give her a snack or something. But um, I lied. That was not the best part. Just getting to, getting to know your story a little bit more, hearing your insight, your experiences, all that good stuff. I know it sounds trivial, but you're somebody that I've watched for a long time, not to make you feel old or anything, uh, but somebody that I've also looked up to for a long time as well. It's been a, it's been so fun being able to work closely with you and be your coworker. So thank you for the time here today. Thank you for all the stuff that you've done. Uh, when I was a little wee lad watching you and learning about you, whether I knew it or not, absorbing by osmosis, and I will see you tomorrow for crosstalk. Well, thank you, Davey. I think you are a star in the making and you are the next wave. Like every few years, somebody comes in to our world and really starts doing great work and making an impression on the media, making an impression on the fans. And I feel like if I could tab, like, you know how NASCAR has their like next gen class? Yep. You are like a part of NASCAR media next gen class. And I think wow. you are like the star standout of that class. And I don't say that lightly. I'm not exaggerating. I think you are incredibly talented. You hustle. You work so freaking hard. You're incredible on social. You popped up on Zoom one day. It's serious. And I was like, oh, my God, like that is freaking amazing. Then I find out <laughs> you're at NBC. I'm like, this kid you just you will outwork people and the quality of your work is tremendous so i really respect your hustle and i respect your talent so um anything anytime you need anything i'm here for you but i'm super proud of you and what you've done so far well thank you i, I really appreciate that and your and your check is in the mail so thank you for yeah, that. good <laughs> <laughs> have a great rest of your day i'll see you tomorrow and uh please give izzy some pets for me yeah i will okay bye <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. Whew. Thank you so much to Danielle once again for giving me so much time and a busy time of year, a busy week as we're gearing up for the season. It's not easy to get these people for this long, but it's easy when you work with people that are so accommodating, so kind. And Danielle 
is at the top of the list. So I thank you so much for your time, Danielle. And I'm sure the listeners do too, because God, that was a great, great conversation. And again, guys, you can listen to Danielle every weekday, Monday through Friday, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the East on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, Channel 90, Sirius XM On Track with Larry Mack. And when he can't make it, a rotating panel of co-hosts. Kelly Crandall's been on. Corey LaJoy was on today as of this recording. It's a great show. One of the best we got on the channel. So I highly encourage you guys to tune in. May even hear a familiar voice and crosstalk for the last segment of TMD if you haven't already heard me there. And that'll wrap things up for episode 135 of Victory Lane 2.0. No, no, no lug nuts this week. I think we may be switching up the show format just a little bit as we hit the ground running in 2022 as the season approaches. I'm not saying we're going to get rid of everything that we've had in the past year or so, but I think we're just going to tweak things a little bit because of my commitments outside of the show, because of everybody's commitments listening to the show. I mean, let's face it, nobody wants to listen to me ramble alone for two hours. So we're going to cut some cords here and there, maybe, just maybe. But until next time, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the Rolex 24 this weekend. If you're listening to this after the Rolex 24, enjoy the clash. Enjoy the Daytona 500. And before you do any of that, please, please do me a favor. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the show. You can get the show wherever you get any of your favorite podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop us a line, and we'll try to rectify that issue for you. But if you do spread the word and leave a rating and a review, it really does help me out in terms of growing the show, spreading the word, so I can get more great guests on and have more insightful conversations like the one today with Miss Trotta. Thank you to Danielle. Thank you to you for listening to Victory Lane. Until next time, we will catch you on the flip side. <laughs>